0: Your ears do not deceive you. You You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Byron O'Neill for Comic Book Yeti, sitting down today with writer Zach Kaplan to talk about his new top cow image sci-fi comic, Metal Society. Welcome back, Zach, and thanks for hanging out with me again. Hey, thanks for having me again. Well, you're just prolific in 2022. I feel like we need... Michael Buffer, maybe, to kick us off for for Metal Society here. After reading the first issue, I can't say I've ever seen anything quite like it, Um, although there's some Terminator, maybe some rocky echoes even in there. Uh, Tell the uninitiated what it's all about.
1: Yeah, welcome to uh, Metal Society. Uh, It takes place in a future after humans have had their chance and they've blown it. So uh, humans are out and robots are in and robots have proliferated around the world in all sorts of varieties in giant mega cities. And uh, it's their society now, but they decide to resurrect humans first out of novelty and to see if they can. And then uh, with more and more humans coming, they decide to have us do the jobs that they don't want to do. And ultimately the story centers around this social divide and a sort of culture clash that culminates um with a fight we follow a young uh woman who a young human woman who's come into this world and she comes to realize that she is part of a world that thinks that she is lesser and she wants to be uh treated equal and be part of this uh, society she wants all humans to be part of it and so uh, the only way to prove her mettle so to speak is to um put on the gloves and um, and go into the ring uh, against a, a, a robot in an MMA style fight. So I've been describing it as Blade Runner meets Rocky because it's this imaginative sci-fi future world uh, centered around a very uh, charged um, uh, boxing slash MMA style fight.
0: Well, science fiction uses forward n- narrative elements, usually blending different topographies and technologies you know, to really talk about things that are happening in our world today. So, what is happening in our world that that's gotten in your head? That's got you wanting to to kind of reference those things in a futuristic boxing story?
1: Yeah, several things. First, I think you know, there's obviously some fun in the uh, humans come and uh, they're doing the jobs that the robots don't want to do, uh, and the robots are afraid that humans are going to come and take their jobs. And there's even a layer in this story that the humans start to leverage and win the opportunity to do more jobs and more work that the robots were doing. So there's this real fear of the other and um, we have that with technology right now. We're we're afraid of technology coming to replace us, AI, robotics, uh, you hear all the time. So this is kind of inverted on that um, premise. But I think also um, the robots in this society are human in nature. They're human-esque, they're humanoid, uh, many of them. And so by making them human-esque, you have a, a kind of an allegory for the fear of the other and for um, how we kind of divide our own populations in our own societies and um, you know fear those and, and, and don't allow, everybody to be part of the society together. So definitely that's one major sandbox that we get to explore here. The other, um, uh, it's also about tribalism. And right now we've seen a real um, element in society where everyone is going off to their corner and no one is talking to each other and we're all ready to fight. And the fight is almost for entertainment's sake. And so um, this story definitely taps into those layers about how um, tribalism and um, public fighting, um, what that does to society. Um,
0: So we screwed up the planet. Robots have become evolution's natural extension. There's nothing new there. So why would robots be dumb enough to bring us back?
1: They're (laughs) human-esque. They're the, they're, they're, Yeah. The idea is that they're like, they're like us. And so um why would they be dumb of us must- in the same way that I'm watching videos and seeing what they're having robots do and they're training robot soldiers. And you kind of go and the AI, you know, you've got analysts coming out saying we're working with AI, but the AI is getting smarter than us and it's threatening us and all sorts of, you know, you kind of, you hear all these warnings from the, and you kind of go well, why are we doing this again um but the truth of the matter is that that sometimes humans pursue scientific endeavors and technological endeavors to see if they can i mean this is this is straight out of jurassic park get, can we get uh uh um oh what's it what's the actor's name um, Jeff goldblum yes jeff goldblum can we get jeff goldblum here to, to talk about chaos theory i you know this is um the robots are human-esque and they dare to wonder if they can not thinking about the consequences and then they have and here we are and what comes next and um so it's 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 it, that's the beauty of of doing it this way i think a lot of times we see robot versus human stories where the um when the robots are in power they're robotic um you know when you think about the matrix when you think about terminator when we're the underdogs we're up against something that's not very human. Uh, when you see stories where the, where the robots are very human, usually they're the underdog. You know, I mean, if you look at something like Chappie or um, you know, there's a, there's a string of, of robot stories out there where the robot is new to the world and an underdog. But when you have this power dynamic and then you cast the robots as human in quality, it, it creates some interesting uh, opportunities in the story.
0: So when you're coming up with this idea conceptually from the beginning, did you start out wanting to write an MMA style story, robots versus humans specifically?
1: You know, um it was kind of, I don't know, other creators might talk about this. Sometimes you have all of these ideas kind of swirling and you don't know which story is what it's gonna be. And then it kind of comes together and you kind of go, wait, the idea for this story and the idea for this story. This all works together. So, yeah, I had this idea of a, a future where robots were in charge, and I kind of had the idea of this fight angle in it, and it all kind of coalesced, and, and it and all kind of worked out. I'm, I've talked before about, I saw, um, I was at New York Comic Con in 2019, and I was crowded into a, a bar there, and they were watching the um, Khabib a McGregor fight and I don't know if you if maybe many of you are not MMA I, I'm not a huge MMA although I've definitely immersed myself into that world now for, for research but uh there was this fight and you know I know Connor McGregor you know we've all seen him and he was fighting this guy uh Khabib who was from uh Eastern Europe and what I came to realize as I talked to the other bar, bar guys there and the people watching the fight was that this was a highly political fight? It turns out that um, Khabib was from, from uh, a part—I'm um, forgetting the, the the part of Eastern Europe. Uh, I want to say uh, Kazakhstan or somewhere uh, where Russia was putting political pressure on them to, you know, become part of Russia. And so he was fighting for his people, and it was very charged. And in turn, McGregor was allied with with Putin, and he was fighting for Russia. And suddenly it was like, wow, the fight is not just about the fight. Whoever wins the fight will have a ripple effect on everything that's going on in society. And that became interesting to me. And once I understood that that an MMA style fight could be that, it was a perfect fit for this robot human culture clash. Because now this fight is all about who's supreme, who's more who's superior who's more powerful who gets to win the the social warfare that's going on humans or robots and that's a lot of pressure to put on both both uh fighters and it becomes suddenly very interesting to see our our main hero rosa and the pressure that it puts on her you know not only does she have this dream of showing that she could could be worth something and but now she's fighting for all of humanity uh, against a robot that maybe she can't win. So it's, it becomes really charged.
0: Well, we've seen violence erupt over the last few years over racial tensions, unfortunately, in our own country. There, there's lots of parallels here in metal society. I hope I'm not giving too much away, but there's this one split panel that has literally humans and machines using separate entr- entrances that really stuck with me. So we're catapulted 400 years into the future, 2420 in the book. Um, Why use violence at that point to settle a dispute? It's a great question. Um, I'll get to that, and then I I like to talk about the division
1: uh, motif that you're picking up on in the book. Um, In terms of violence, it's kind of it was a funny thing to stumble upon because why would robots settle conflict? Uh, with conflict. but uh, it actually comes out of recognizing that there are certain conflicts that have no algorithmic or mathematical solution that both there are, there are two possibilities that could exist and because when you hear two arguments for something, those arguments, if you apply the right subjective quality to them they could they could both be right. And so robot society has decided, also since robots can just simply be rebuilt and they don't die, that fighting is just an easy way to resolve it. It's a natural way. I mean, Mother Nature uses fighting all the time. Young bucks fight to see who's going to get to, you know, get the, the dough. Uh, animals fight. Um, fighting is part of evolution. It's part of um it isn't it is a natural way to solving conflicts and humans fight too. What's negative is when we fight for power when we when the fight becomes not about solving something, but the fight becomes about maintaining power, when the fight becomes about entertainment, when we're when we're not using the fight towards any sort of conflict resolution but just fighting for fighting's sake um, And so there's a lot of, interesting commentary and interesting questions about what it means to fight and what it means to resolve conflict. Um, definitely we're coming into a society in this robot human world that's divided. And so we look for every opportunity to show that division and to show, um, show, you know, show that here are the humans on one side and here are the robots. There's lots of parallels. I mean, even from the design visually, how we approach layouts, Sometimes we'll do um, the same layout inverted for one for the robot, one for the human, or we'll show um, certain aspects of the human's life and then we'll show certain aspects of the robot's life and their mirrors. You know, We're seeing the robot's life and the human's life in the same layout in the same kind of way, but subtle differences just to show that even the cover, You know, the main cover by um, um, Gil Herme and Marco Lesko, it's the two, the two fighters Divided so division and showing showing a divided society was was really important for the for the theme for the motif for the energy of the
0: piece. Well, Let's talk about the art. Johan um, Balbi is on the project and I noticed he adapted the original alien screenplay for Dark Horse so metal society in that same vein feels very cinematic with these to me alternating really epic high tension dramatic moments that transition into these tighter emotional sequences. So you get uh, rooted into the landscape sometimes with these scenes that are just over a character's shoulder, which really stuck out to me. So talk to me about working with him. Yeah, uh, he's great. Uh, you know, That was
1: what uh, his work on um, Aliens was what, what stood out to me and made me think that he was perfect for the project because here he is doing something that's dark in tone, that's cinematic, that is character-driven. That's world-building. And uh, the other impressive thing is he's he's relatively new to comics. He's done a few things, um, but um, he's kind of come out of the gate really, really strong. Uh, I expect to see a lot of exciting things from him. And um, you know, he really understood um, the 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 point of the what we're doing here and the, the vision. And he brought you know a lot of energy to it to the pages and. Um, you know, his characters are, are just, his character works fantastic. He really brings Rosa to life and he really brings the robots to life. Um, so um, he, he was just a natural fit and, uh, and it was just a great collaborative process. Um, and then Marco Lesko is our colorist. And, uh, you know, I was drawn to Marco's work by another great sci-fi comic that he's been working on, which is Blade Runner. And, you know, he really captured the dystopian tones there and the lighting and the ones. The and I thought he was just... Um, you know, this book has a lot of grit. This book has a lot of—it's um, not a clean science fiction world. It's a—it's a very um, messy science fiction world. And so he brought that energy to it, and um, together they made a just a really breathtaking book. It's—it's it's really gorgeous artwork.
0: Yeah, I was impressed with Marco's work. As a former concert and theatrical lighting designer myself, I really enjoyed how he visually separated. The, the robot and the human experiences kind of in the same world. So how much direction did you give him with, with the colors? You
1: know, I'm a very collaborative creator. I really like to create lots of dialogues and, 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 and throw lots of questions out on the table. So we, we all talked a lot about, you know, what look it's going to be. We talked about certain color palettes being for the robots, obviously, and certain color palettes being for the humans. And then when we would invert that to kind of play with the The reader's um, expectations. So yeah, there was a lot of a lot of um, strategy and thought that went into how it was going to look. And you know, it's not what it's not. We're not doing a minority report here. We're getting a little messy, a little uh, a little grimy. I mean, there's different worlds in this world. There's the robot city and the human settlement. What are going to be the the differences in tone between those and between the humans and all the robots and are they all the same? Do they all look different? Let's show that they all look different to show that they've kind of come together as one group. So yeah, there was lots of world building and colors was a huge part of that. And and Gil Hermes work was a huge part of that. And um, it was really, you know, a great experience. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of sensing a theme in your books here with with making it hard for the letterers though, because Troy Petrie's he had a task in front of him but it it's some of the most diverse in terms of a color range I've ever seen in word bubbles in a book it's not distracting in the least
1: no if, you know I remember ta- telling Troy what we were up to here and he was like oh wow you know he was excited and up for the challenge but a real challenge for a letter because we we set out to create different word bubbles for the robot culture and the human culture to show the dichotomy to show the division and then not only that but we also played with the idea that the robots each robot might sound different at different points and then you layer on top of that there's there's a voiceover narration the the series opens with the fights you have the announcers announcing on the fight so there was so many different aspects to the lettering and yet um you know to Troy's credit he um, brought a real cohesive uh, and creative uh, element to the letters. And it, it really, it just elevates the, the book.
0: It's great. So if I'm reading it correctly, it's stated to be a five-issue miniseries?
1: Yes, that's correct. Yeah, um, yeah. it's another, um, you know, dive in, join us for the ride and uh, see who wins the fight, you know. Um, you know, obviously I'm never opposed to, to uh, doing more, but this one definitely... Feels very um, standalone, and and uh, it's a very uh, you know you've got to fight, and um, you know this is um who's going to win, and uh, all the all the behind the scenes drama and preparation that builds up to it. And I'll say that um, this is not a story about a, a, a series of fights. This is not a story about a fighter's uh, fighter's uh, life and many fights. This is a story about one fight. And the drama behind the scenes and the preparation and training behind the scenes and ultimately that battle and who's going to win it. Um, so it definitely feels very, very contained, exciting, and just, uh, you know, uh, dramatic. So yeah, five Ralph issues. Lundgren,
0: Rocky Four. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's a pretty epic book by design. So what do you ultimately want to, to leave us with at the end? I'd also love to mention, um, Top
1: Cow because this is my return to, uh, doing, this is my third book with Top Cow. I set out on initially with, uh, Top Cow. I broke in with Eclipse and yep. then Port of Earth. And I think fans of those two books will really like, uh, Metal Society because it's really hard sci-fi and, um, I love good hard sci-fi and, um, I feel like there, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's some hard sci, science fiction out there, but a lot of times sci-fi gets expanded with, um, you know, I expand it sometimes with adventure or with fantasy. There's lots of sci-fi fantasy. So this is a really great um, hard sci-fi. And what do I mean by hard? Hard, I just mean that it's, it, you know, in the same vein of Blade Runner or Dune or West World. There's just... Um, an emphasis on technology and an emphasis on one different thing of the world and and um, and and then exploring all the complexity around that and so I, yeah top cal was a fantastic uh, um, collaborator on this and a great partner and I'm excited to be back with them for another book and and through image is obviously it's always a always wonderful to see the the, the infamous eye on your book and um, yeah so I definitely want want readers who have enjoyed my previous work or if you haven't you want to try this out try it out too but um it's definitely worth mentioning the um the great publisher
0: yeah so after working with a publisher on a couple of books now with eclipse and port of earth how much leeway do they give you or is, is it kind of now like off you go mate we know you're good in some ways i mean there's a um
1: yeah i mean i think that's pretty natural and i think probably you'll hear most creators say that you know in the beginning of any um, collaborative process. You're feeling each other out and working together, but there's definitely lots of communication and, um, you know, third book with the uh, top cow. Um, yeah. We're all firing on full cylinders and um, this gives us the flexibility to, to really focus on what, what we're doing and what and they focus on what they're doing and, and yeah, it's great. We've got some gorgeous covers, you know, and I think the, you um, being able to bring that, you know, covers in. And just, um, we did a fantastic trailer for uh, Metal Society that's out on, if you go to Images YouTube, it's just uh, fantastic. We did that with more frames animation. So yeah, once you get comfortable in a collaboration, it gives you the chance to really expand um, what you're doing and branch out.
0: Well, let's get to know Zach a bit. As a as a writer coming into the comics game with like a film school background, you know, um, how does that change your approach to storytelling?
1: Well, it's a good question. I mean, I, I love, first and foremost, I mean, I, I yes, I, I um, studied film for a very long time. I went to USC film school for, for writing. And I came out and I wrote lots of film and TV specs and had a, several things go around town and development. But I also grew up reading comics and I loved comics and I um, got away from them a bit in high school and then fell back in love with them in college. And I always thought it would be amazing to do a comic book. It was kind of always a dream of mine. I think what I've come to realize is um, you know, when I did Eclipse, then I realized, oh, like there's this whole world. I mean, you just whenever anyone does their first comic, you realize the world of comics. And so suddenly I wanted to be do more of this and be a comic creator. And it's very different than film and TV. Um, you know, there's lots of parallels in the sense of a good a good concept's a good concept you know um there's cinematic qualities that have their advantage good character work good storytelling is good storytelling but um you know it's a completely different medium you know a collaborative process with artists and um, understanding the nuances of layout and the nuances of spacing um and so you know I, I'm still trying to learn as much as I can and and use the the medium to to be a better storyteller and um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, there's some things I bring in, I guess from my, from my writing background and film background in, in maybe maybe you'll notice it in, in my concepts or maybe the, the way I approach covers or approach certain moments that might feel cinematic in nature, but I think ultimately, you know I, I try to think about what what makes a good character drama what what's a character what's a you know beyond the hook which i enjoy coming up with and i i, I you know i like a good a good high concept but what's what's going to make people really connect to this character you know you look at metal society here's this young woman bo- born into the world and it was important to start her off and show that she just is, she just wants to be a part of the the robot world and then she's told no here's your place and it's a very we we can all I well I hope that if we if we don't have that life experience that we can all at least relate to that experience and empathize with that experience and recognize the the parallels and recognize the emotions that go uh, with that and I think she's a she's a really heroic and brave and courageous character she's a joy to write she's one of the strongest uh, female characters that I think I've written and she's just a badass she she faces these challenges head on but you can sense apprehension and vulnerability when she does, you know, she's not talking the talk, she's walking the walk. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, trying to approach story from character and trying to to, to bring all of that. Um, that's where my mind is that despite a film background, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, well that character, Rosa has a very loaded name. I mean, obviously one would think Rosa Parks, was there any intent behind that?
1: Um, it was something that came to mind. Yeah. And I thought, I, I thought it was a happy accident that I would leave in place. Um, yeah. I mean, here you have another, um, African-American woman who's leading the charge against, uh, a, a society that's telling her she can't, uh, do something and, and she's a fighter and she inspires, uh, you know, her people. And so, yeah, it was something that I thought this is a, uh, happy accident that I, you know, it's, it's something I'm, gonna, I'm not, it's not, it's not, I'm not interested in drawing a, a, a direct parallel in the book. I'm interested in leaving it open to interpretation. And if someone says, hey, was she named Rosa for a reason? Or what is the nature of
0: this? That's open to interpretation. But okay. um, obviously there's, um, obviously there's a parallel there.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I know you have a lot going on right now. You just released Breakout recently with Dark Horse and you're managing adaptations of Eclipse and Port of Earth. Are there any other projects that you've got going on in 2022? I know you're busy. You can, you can throw out teasers, or do we need to keep it on the download right now? I'll throw out a teaser, especially um,
1: considering when we might um, be um, putting this out into the world. I've got a vault book uh, that's about to be announced, if it has not been announced any day now. And um, it's uh, with John Pearson, who's the Eisner award-winning um, digital artist who uh, collaborated on uh, Ram's uh, blue, Ram V's Blue and Green, and uh, um, also they did Batman Urban uh, Legends with uh, Anand, and uh, John Pearson's just a, a breathtakingly uh, gorgeous artist, and uh, what we have coming your way is, is just, uh, I'm so excited for everyone to check that one out too, um, and so uh, that is uh, right around the corner, and, um, and then I have a, another uh, scout book with Scout Comics that's on the way and uh, that'll be coming later this summer. That's already been um, uh, mentioned loosely in, in corners of comic uh, world. So uh, that's, uh, I'll, I'll tease at that, but that's it um,
0: for now. Okay, well, last question. Are you a dog person? Cause I think I heard a dog. Oh yeah, did you hear? Yes, I it's have okay. a, I, mean, I love dogs, so.
1: Yeah, I have a, a, an eight year old uh, golden doodle. Uh, nice. I'm, I'm allergic to dogs but I love dogs and so uh we got Bentley um uh his whole litter was named after uh cars so his sisters were I think named like Porsche and Mercedes uh but uh he's Bentley and we liked it and um so yeah he's uh spoiled rot and he's made me a better parent <laughs> and, uh he's uh he's uh I think I, there's like I don't know if anybody knows about golden doodles. I do a little all, bit. Yeah, there's all these um, videos and memes online about how needy and demanding golden doodles are. Uh, like really uh, Gar- like Garfield the cat level. Uh, uh, <laughs> like wow. where's, my, where's my food? Where's my attention? I'm cute and I know it, give me stuff. So yeah, I have a, a dog and that's, that's
0: that's my dog world. Well, Zach, I want to thank you for visiting with me today again. It's been a pleasure getting to learn a little bit more about Metal Society and your process behind the book. Um, Shipping delays, what they are, when can we see that on shelves?
1: Yeah, Metal Society is set to come out May 4th, which is super cool because uh, May the 4th be with you. We'll be sharing uh, some uh, sci-fi energy with uh, whatever's going on in the Star Wars landscape on on May 4th. It's set to come out May 4th, though we expect that there shouldn't be any delays. There are uh, six amazing covers. Three are open covers, ABC. And then there are a few incentive covers out there that retailers may pick up. And I'm sure there'll be some extra retailer variants, but I would tell you uh, the covers are all gorgeous. um, And uh, we have one cover that's an incentive cover by Mark Silvestri. Um, we got him to uh, come and do a cover for us and uh, really exciting. So whatever, you know, the point of doing a few covers is to give you the chance to uh, pick the look of the, the issue that you want. So definitely tell your shop, which one you want pre-order it because um, they may all be gone, but certainly the cover you want may be gone. So it's definitely pre-ordering is definitely a great way to, to make sure you get the one you want and uh, that you should probably put in your order by
0: um mid-April, I think you got probably a few weeks to do that. Okay. Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for joining me today, Zach. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll see everybody next time. Thank you. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.